For our text this morning, we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word for us today. So when you first get your driver's permit and you start driving, everything is hard. You've got to think about everything. Do you put your hand in at 3 and 9 o'clock or 6 and 12 o'clock? And when you turn, do you just sort of shove the wheel around? Or do you do that swoopy hand thing that looks easy but is really hard when you first start? And which side is the gas and which is the brake? And do not get those mixed up. And did you adjust your mirrors? Are they where they should be? And where's your blind spot again? And most importantly for your young driver, how loud can you turn the radio in your car? There are all kinds of things that don't come very naturally when you first start driving. But with even a little bit of practice, with even just a few hours of practice for a beginning driver, things pretty quickly become automatic. And by the time you've been driving for a decade or two or three, you hardly even think about it anymore. You get in the car, and all of a sudden you're at your destination, and you don't even remember what you did in between those two things. And really, you want driving a car to be pretty automatic. But every now and then, it's good for us to stop and think a little bit about whether we're driving correctly and what we're doing while we're driving. Good to think if we have our hands in the right place. Good to think if we've got the mirror set up right and if we're using them as we ought to be. If we're obeying all the rules of the road or if we've started taking some shortcuts. The point is to get to the destination. But it's good sometimes to stop and think a little bit about driving habits on the way. I think the same thing is true of our worship services. When we first start coming to church or if we go to a new church, we have to learn a lot of different things. Especially if we're younger, we have to learn when we need to be quiet and when we can be loud. We learn when to stand up, when to sit down. We learn when to close our eyes, when to open our eyes. We know the rhythm for when we'll sing, when the pastor is going to get up and talk, when we'll pray. We just get a sense over time of what the rhythm of the worship service is. And after a while, that can become automatic for us. And in many ways, that's a good thing. But I think sometimes it's also good for us to pause and to reflect a little bit on what we're doing in worship and why we're doing what we do. So this morning, we're starting just a brief four-part series on worship, when we worship. We'll be looking at some different patterns in our worship services. We'll be thinking about what we do and also a bit of why we do, why we do what we do. So I'll talk a little bit about some of the mechanics of the service, why we do certain things, but also the meaning of worship and the reason behind what we do. A couple of Footnotes, I guess, or side notes, whatever you want to call it before we dive in. 
First, worship can mean a lot of things. When you hear worship, you might automatically think singing, and that's a pretty narrow definition of worship. Or when you hear worship, you might think all of life, because we can live all of our lives in service to God. For different occasions, those are both pretty good definitions of worship. But for what I want to talk about in this series, one's too narrow, one's too broad. When I talk about worship in this series, I'm going to be talking about our worship services. Not just the singing and not all of life and how we serve God, but worship services. And then second, to give credit where credit's due, I got the idea for this series and a lot of the things I'm going to talk about from a couple people at Calvin Seminary. John Whitley is the worship professor there. He's one of the most clear-headed thinkers I know on worship, also the most energetic professor I've ever had. Fun to be in his class. And then James Smith is a philosophy professor at Calvin who's written a lot about how we can be intentional in our worship and service to God. So I'm not going to mention those names a lot, but you should know a lot of these ideas aren't my own. Especially if you don't like any of them, then they definitely aren't mine. <clears throat> All right. For Christian worship to happen, two things have to take place. The first, and by far the most important, is that God has to act. If God doesn't make the first move, Christian worship could never happen. God always speaks first, and we are always responding to God. God prompts, perfects, and receives our worship. God prompts, perfects, and receives our worship. And that's the most crucial thing for a worship service. We go to lots of other events, but what makes worship special is that God speaks to us in a unique way here. You can go to games, basketball, football, tennis, whatever, and have a good time. You can go to a concert and feel really uplifted. You can go to a lecture or a talk and learn a lot of things. You can go to a movie in the park and be entertained. You can go to the mall and have a nice hour in air conditioning and some good coffee afterwards. Or you can come here and you can have an hour in air conditioning and free coffee afterwards and lemonade for free too, just, just saying. There are all kinds of events, places, things we can go to to grow, to learn, to relax, to be entertained. But when we gather here in worship, something happens that doesn't really happen in the same way anywhere else. Our text for today starts here with God's work. Verse 19 says that we can have the confidence to draw near to God because of Jesus' work. And a more literal translation for that word might be authorization. We have the authorization to draw near to God because of Christ's work. Christ's work gives us an all-access pass to the Father. And then verse 21, just a couple verses later, talks about how Jesus' sacrifice opens the well. No, verse 21 talks about how Jesus is a great priest over the house of God. Jesus' sacrifice opens the way for us to meet with God. Jesus, the great priest, enables us to meet with God. We can only be here today because of the work of God on our behalf. Every time that we gather for worship, this time is a gift from God to us. Every worship service, every worship service is a gift from God to us. Now let me take that big picture 
and try to ground it a little bit. And let me start with a question. When you picture God in worship, where do you put him? Now I know God's invisible and he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. We don't put him in one particular place. But I think most people, when they come to a worship service, they envision God in some particular place. Maybe your vision of God is our high and exalted Father. So maybe you kind of picture him sitting on a throne up here in the choir loft. Or maybe if you look up to where the rafters come together, maybe that's kind of where you picture God. As I was reading this week, one writer talked about how when he was a child, his church had a big stained glass window up front. Until he was an adult, he pretty much thought God lived behind that stained glass window up in front of church. Maybe that's kind of the picture you have of God. Or maybe... Maybe you think God is kind of next to us in worship. God is standing here. He comes. He speaks to us. He listens. He looks us in the eye. He hangs out with us. God comes and he walks alongside us in worship. That's another picture of worship, another good picture of worship. But maybe the way you picture God, if you think about it a little bit, is you picture God inside us. Worship for you is really about that sense that God has drawn us here and that God meets us here in our hearts and that God is truly, truly present within you. God above us, God alongside us, God within us. You may get a sense of what I'm up to here. God above us, God alongside us, God within us. God prompting, perfecting, and receiving our worship. In Christian worship, we see the Trinity at work in a multitude of ways. God, our Heavenly Father, calls us to come and worship Him, the great ruler and King of all things. Jesus Christ, our Savior, gives us the authorization we need to come before God, and He perfects our worship as our perfect mediator. And the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to make us want to come to worship and to be able to worship in spirit and in truth. God works in a variety of ways in worship. And some of us really get into one picture or another. Some of us don't think worship is real unless we've looked way up to God who is highly exalted and way above us. Some of us don't feel like worship has really happened unless we've really seen Jesus and felt him with us. Some of us don't feel like worship has happened unless we felt God at work in our hearts leading us on. And I think those are all good pictures of worship. They're all dynamics of how God is at work and something we all can think about, how God is at work in these different ways. But all of them have something in common. In all of the ways that God works with us in worship, God always, God always, always acts first. God is always the one who speaks first. Our worship begins with God's initiative. Now there's one small part of worship that we often just kind of fly by, but I think it's tremendously, tremendously important for this point. When we gather here on Sunday, we welcome people. Maybe we have a couple announcements. Sometimes we have a call to worship. And then what happens? What happens then? A couple of you are diving for bulletins to try to figure this out. What happens next is God's greeting. 
Pastor Greg or I stand up here and we give God's greeting to his gathered people. Now I know we do this quickly, we don't make a big deal out of it, but that is a hugely significant part of worship. God's greeting is God welcoming us here. God's greeting is God saying to you, you are welcome here. God's greeting is a reminder that we depend on God, that God perfects our imperfect worship, that God has claimed us as his people, and that God acted first to draw us to him before we did anything to serve him. The Lord enables us to worship him. And every time we gather, the Lord welcomes us here and greets us and tells us that we have the right to stand before and with him. God speaks first. God speaks and then we respond. In worship, we respond to God's action. Worship begins with God. God always acts first. But worship is not just God acting. God acts, we respond. At its very heart, a worship service is a vertical conversation between God and his people. The Lord speaks to us, and we respond to him. There is a horizontal dimension to worship, too. We gather as God's people. We're not just a bunch of random individuals, but we are the body of Christ gathered together. But the most significant dimension of worship is this vertical one. If you look at the bulletin, you can do it right now or later, but if you look at the bulletin, you see that just about everything we do is either God speaking to us or us speaking to God. The Lord greets us. We respond with worship. We confess our sins. The Lord assures us of his pardon. We bring our prayers and our offerings the Lord speaks to us with his word. Worship is all about this vertical conversation. God acts and we respond. That is the key dynamic of worship. So let's talk about three ways that we can respond to God in our worship services. In Hebrews 10, the text first reminds us that we worship because of Christ's work. Since Christ has done this, we can come before God. But then it goes on and it gives us three ways, three commands to respond to God's work. And this is true of the whole of our Christian lives, but I think it's especially true of our worship services. The first verse 22 tells us to respond with the assurance of faith. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. We should come before God with a deep, deep Assurance. Sometimes we might feel like when we come to worship, we need to make sure we get everything just right so that God will be okay with us. Or maybe sometimes when we come to worship, we feel the need to really emote and really have an emotional experience and get ourselves worked up so that we can feel God at work. But that's not where our assurance in worship comes from. Our worship is never a performance it's not that we have to get things just right because God is up there checking off the boxes. It's not that we have to work ourselves up into some sort of emotional froth in order for God to show up. 
Worship is never a performance. Worship is a response to the Lord's gracious action. When we come to worship, we come with a deep-rooted assurance because God has already drawn us here, because God welcomes us here, because God acts first, and all that we do is respond to him. We come to worship to respond to God, not to perform, not to measure up, but to respond to the Lord who loves us. And second, verse 23 tells us to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess because the Lord is faithful. Because God has acted on our behalf, we hold on to confidence and hope. And this isn't hope, by the way, that's just something we hold on to in our hearts. The sense of hope here is this objective promise that God will fulfill. This is not hope, like I really just dream that this might happen, even though it looks like it won't. This is hope that we know the one who promised is faithful, and he will bring his plans to completion. And coming to worship Sunday after Sunday is one way that we express that confidence and that hope that God has given us. Every week. Every week we are battered by bad news out in the world. Every week things go terribly wrong. This was a really tough week to watch the news in our country. Regardless of what you think the exact causes or solutions of the difficulties this week were, you have to agree that our country is broken. There are so many things that go so wrong. And we live in a really pretty great, pretty functional country. If you look around the world, there is so, so much every week that goes so terribly wrong. Then we are battered by this bad news day after day. It would be really easy to give up hope. It'd be really easy to stop listening to God's good news and just say, well, life is miserable and that's all there is to it. But when we come to worship, when we come to worship, we are expressing confidence in God's work and we are renewed in the hope that we have. When we gather in worship, we hear God's word and we express our confidence in the hope that he gives us. Hope that nothing in this world can beat down or take away. Third and finally, verses 24 and 25 tell us to consider how we can spur one another on to love and good works. And they tell us not to give up meeting with each other, but instead to encourage one another. We respond to God's love by loving and encouraging each other. And part of that package is by meeting together in worship services. And listen, I know, I know, worship services are not necessarily the most exciting part of your week. Shocking news, but it's true. Most of us don't wake up on Sunday morning and say, yeah, I can't wait to get to church this morning. Some of us do. But for many of us, it's a discipline to come week after week. Even this morning, I suspect a number of us were really tempted to attend Bedside Baptist with Pastor Pillow. Pastor Pillow, the only preacher who you want to keep going and going and going. 
So worship services aren't always the most exciting part of the week, but they have deep, enduring spiritual value. Our priorities shape who we are. What we value determines who we become. So what you put in your schedule, what you show up for, the rituals and the routines that you develop, they say a lot about who you are. What you do with your life tells people what your deepest love is. And our deepest love becomes the thing that we worship. So our worship services, their rituals, their routines that form us into God's people. Worship can sometimes feel a little clunky, a little awkward. We don't always know quite what to do. But this gathering, this gathering, Sunday after Sunday, this gathering encourages, equips, and forms us in a way that nothing else does. Weekly worship makes us able to live for and live with the Lord in a way that nothing else does. Now, your worship attendance doesn't determine if you're a Christian or not. But if you really want to grow in the faith, then you've got to be gathering with God's people. You've got to be hearing him speak to us together. And you've got to be part of this communal response of us together responding to God's work. Now, this is, this is a challenge for all of us. Calvin Seminary, where I got my training to be a minister, used to have this problem. On Sunday mornings, the seminary apartments would be full of Reformed students attending Bedside Baptist. And let me walk you through how this happened. You'd be studying Hebrew and Greek during the week. You'd be translating the Bible into English. You'd be learning about the history of the church. You'd be learning about how to take care of people in crisis, how to administer the church, and on and on and on. And you'd occasionally eat and sleep. And then Saturday would come and you'd catch up. And then Sunday would come and you'd think, you know... I know the stuff. I know the stuff better than the preacher does, to be honest with you. Why do I need to go to church? So on Sunday morning, a lot of people would just sleep in. It was hard to get up and actually get to worship. There are always, for all of us, there are always other things that distract, other things that pull us away. We all have our excuses and our reasons, and some of them are totally legitimate, and some of them aren't. But what we really love shows up in the patterns of our lives. What you do shapes who you are. So however it looks for you week to week, month to month, let your life be shaped by routines that draw you closer to God. And one part of that has to be, has to be gathering with God's people. We come to worship because God has drawn us here and because he meets us here. Worship is a vertical dialogue between God and his people. And so we gather in deep assurance that we belong to him. We gather to renew our hope that the Lord is at work in our lives and that he will make all things right. And we gather to express and to deepen our love for God and to be equipped to go out and share that love with the world. We don't always get all of these dynamics right every week. There is hardly such a thing as a perfect worship service. But this is not about our performance. This is about how God has acted in our lives and how we have been drawn to respond to him. 
So this week, I invite you to reflect on what we do when we worship. And let's be renewed in our gratitude for this opportunity we have to encounter the Lord God together with his people. In our worship services as nowhere else, God acts. And this is a special time and special place for us to respond to him. God himself speaks to us here. God himself receives our praises, welcomes our prayers, and accepts our offerings. The Lord draws us here week after week, and he meets us here with his word and his spirit. Let us always worship him in spirit and in truth.